0: You've hit play on the screen, Companion. Scientifically formulated to provide the best film and TV recommendations. Here with me today are a couple of fabulous guests. We have Max, our resident gearhead, and John, our resident cutie. Mm -hmm. We are going to talk about two racing movies Lamont from 1971 and Rush from 2013. Starting chronologically, Le Mans is a movie where Steve McQueen plays Michael Delaney, a Porsche driver at the 1970 Le Mans 24-hour race. Having crashed the previous year, he connects with the widow of a racer who died in that earlier accident. In a new segment, I'm going to call Facts with Max. Please, Max, give us a basic rundown of what the Le Mans race actually is.
1: So Le Mans is basically the way it sounds. It's a race that happens in a certain area of France. It's a racetrack. It's a long course, and they have all these teams that get together once a year, and they just race around it for 24 hours. In those 24 hours, you have to go through everything, through the fog, through the rain, through the sunshine. It doesn't matter so long as your car makes it to the end after 24 hours. The way you win is by going the longest distance, either based on laps or laps plus distance if there's like a close enough tie. All these other teams show up, usually manufacturer teams. As of this day, teams like Toyota, Audi has a team. But back in the day, it was like Ferrari, Ford, Porsche would show up. Sometimes other smaller groups would like borrow their designs and create their own little mini team to try and compete. Sometimes, not even crazy cars will compete. It'll be like regular road cars, what you would find on the street in that time period. Just make it to the end, have your drivers swap out every now and then so that they don't crash, and good luck, everybody.
0: The types of teams that enter these races you mentioned it's not just car manufacturers. So, are there teams in it just to win a purse?
1: That's everyone's objective. You make a small fortune in racing. By spending a big fortune. Sometimes it's for glory. Sometimes it's just to recoup some losses. You can do a lot of things when you have the title of 24-hour Le Mans winner. In actual racing, there's a thing called the Triple Crown where you got to win the Le Mans 24 hours. You got to win Indy 500. And you got to win Monaco. If you do that, you're basically considered like a racing god. That's how much prestige there is behind all of this. And how many people have done that? Uh, I want to say a handful. I don't remember all their names off the top of my head. Less than ten. Yeah, it's gonna be less than ten. The all-knowing future host
0: here. It turns out there was only one driver to complete the Triple Crown, the British racer Graham Hill. He won the first of three in 1966, and he completed his Triple Crown in 1972, a year after the film Le Mans came out. So far, there's roughly a dozen other drivers who have come close winning two out of three legs.
1: The latest one who almost did it was Fernando Alonso. He still needs to win the Indy 500. And he got close a few years ago before he had an engine failure with his least favorite engine manufacturer, which was Honda at the time.
2: To know so much about cars that you have a least favorite engine manufacturer.
1: (laughs) That was his least favorite engine manufacturer. This guy would rip into them on live TV over the radio to their faces, held no punches. He basically got blacklisted from that team. John, have you been to
0: any races?
2: Well, I'm from Watkins Glen, New York. Ooh, I'm from near Watkins Glen, New York. And uh, <laughs> instantly, Max knows what that means. Yeah, that um, just goes completely over my head. <laughs> its biggest, I guess, claim to fame is being one of the few street courses on the NASCAR circuit. But there's a lot of racing done there. Have you been there a lot? Oh, yeah. Growing up, you go, someone always had a NASCAR ticket or something like that. You go at least once to NASCAR, You once to every type of race. And then working as a chef in the area, you end up there just helping somebody cook something. A lot of
0: hamburgers and hot dogs?
2: <laughs> oh, don't get me started.
1: <laughs> Ooh.
0: Well, as we bring it back to the actual Steve McQueen flick, what do you think stands out about the rivalry between
2: the lead drivers? I love that it is purely media-based because they are just friends. <laughs> Yeah, they're awfully civil, which is
0: probably closer to real life, but I don't know if it's so interesting to watch. Max, being a big card nut, was there any meat to that relationship for you?
1: I always see this stuff in the media all the time where, oh, this guy said this one thing, oh this other driver unfollowed his friend on Instagram. Is there some friction between teams? Is a bromance over? In reality all these guys literally just get together during dinners, they hang out, they do a bunch of stuff off the track. And it's always been like this, as far as I can tell, maybe the very beginning of F1, like in the 50s, that's how these guys always reacted. They're basically co-workers, sometimes even really good friends. No, they have really good relationships and everything that happens outside with the media is just, just, just a little pizzazz. It just gets people stirred up.
0: Do you think there's anything in the movie where the race sequences stand out among other movies in the genre?
1: From the way it looked, those sequences were filmed either during test timing or sometimes even during the actual race. I don't know how accurate that is though, but they seem pretty real to me in terms of like, yeah, stuff like this can happen all the time where the car just suddenly decides, nope, I don't want to go to a straight line anymore. Nope, I'm going to go into that wall. You're coming along. Let's go, buddy. To the pearly gates we go. <laughs> the only thing that stood out to me was the way the camera would look like it was just going in circles forever. It may feel that way to some drivers. I've never experienced that myself. But I don't think it's to that extent where you're spinning for like a minute before you finally hear that smack.
0: Now, since you have been on some courses, in what car, Max? Uh my Miata,
1: the 2021 Miata.
0: Between this and rush, Which movie's driving sequences actually felt closest to how you're feeling when you're driving?
1: Maybe this one, because it felt like you were actually there in the action. Sometimes it feels like it can be a little boring, like, all right, just got to go in a straight line. Just got to watch how I'm turning. And then once you get to that turn, you're like, oh, oh, I got to really pay attention right now. One wrong flick, and it's over. That's why I kind of felt watching Le Mans. Watching Rush, I didn't exactly get that feeling. It was just more of a, oh, here's just these cars zooming by. Watch them as they go left and right. There they go. Bye, cars.
0: What I noticed was a couple times there are flat-out freeze frames being used during the action. And I don't recall seeing a racing movie use that. In that fashion, John, can you think of other racing movies where they stop the action and pause it right when something smashes into something or somebody's going really fast?
2: No, no, I can't. They usually do the cut to spectators being appalled or someone comes up with a really horrible shot of just watching the guy get hurt inside the car, but not a freeze frame. And what did you think of that device? Did you find it enjoyable or jarring? I almost liked it more because, like I said, there's always that horrible shot of someone getting injured, and I don't want to see that sometimes. Considering the lack of quote-unquote style in this movie,
0: I was surprised at how ballsy it was for them to freeze frame and then also, in a way, do something that doesn't happen for the rest of the movie where it's so real to life, and then in a couple moments it just says, Hey, fellas. Look at this car going really fast. Look at this car hitting a guardrail. I want you to stare at it for 10 seconds. Enjoy that shit. (laughs) Look at it. Look at it.
1: We spent $20,000 on this scene. You're going to take every second of it now. (laughs) Drink it all in.
0: But to have that occur, I found it really effective. Because they loosen their skirt a little bit. You want to see more leg, don't you? Well, fine. We'll give it to you. Enjoy this. When we talk about the actual depiction of the racing and the cars being used, Max, do you think there's anything that's really accurate that you saw or anything that actually felt pretty silly as far as the actual on-screen driving, the outfits, the sound design, etc.?
1: So I had to think about this for a second. Sadly, it all looks pretty accurate. And I say sadly because you look at these high-end purpose-built race cars, that their only thing in life is to race this one specific race, and you see them take a small bump, and half the car falls off. And you're thinking yourself, man, that's kind of crappy. Who would put themselves in this situation with this kind of car? And I remember cars were practically built like paper because weight savings. These cars are literally just tubs with maybe a paper shell on the outside. Not literally paper shell, but if they could, they would have made them out of paper, just to save that extra bit of weight.
0: That was pretty funny, the detail of seeing the leaderboard and then a bunch of spots say abandon on it. And I'm wondering, what's that mean? And then I realized, oh yeah, it's because all these people's cars just crapped out. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Not a lot of cars are meant to go for 24 straight hours at what, 200 miles an hour?
1: <laughs> yeah, especially back in that day.
0: Max, I take it that is part of the set of rules is that you have to use the same car the whole
1: time? Yet yeah, to the same car with mostly the same parts and the same drivers. Wow. And it all has to last. So you could do things like, you know, change tires, change parts of your suspension, change body panels. But the brunt of the car, like the main body or the chassis, has to be the same. don't think it's changed our consumables, brakes, tires, gas.
0: Can't necessarily call this a quiet movie but in the way that it lets you just focus and pay attention, the shots are a lot longer than rush. It gives you the time to really look at some of these details and how the actual racing works, as opposed to just focusing on the driving itself. I found it pretty odd that they didn't seem to incorporate the act of shifting all that much into the race sequences to the point where for a second I thought maybe they were automatic cars. And I'm thinking for car lovers and driving aficionados, that must be like turning on a dirty movie where all the talent keep their underwear on. Max, were you like any point asking the film, show me that gear stick, show it to me?
1: (laughs) I didn't think about it until you mentioned it right now, actually. (laughs) I know. I saw a third pedal in there somewhere every now and then. And I'm pretty sure these cars were manual. But at the same time, I'm thinking, didn't want to focus on that at the time. They wanted to focus on the driver specifically. These guys on the edge of death, they're all risking it just for what? A gold trophy at the end of the line? I think that's what this movie was trying to do in that sense.
0: Nowadays, John, doesn't that just feel like a shorthand with racing movies when they're revving up, when they're changing gears, that you have to see them shifting the gears?
2: Yeah, it's part of the trope, right? It's like you got to have the rules. Like sci-fi movies need to have an alien that represents bad parts of human, right? And race car movies have to have a revving engine.
0: Yeah, and you have to have that shot where it's from the POV of the gear stick looking up at the driver. (laughs) (laughs) This movie is so artsy. and It's almost documentary, almost, right? Absolutely. And at first, I did find it off-putting, but I happen to be in a certain mindset. And this isn't a very long movie. I think it's less than two hours. I was really vibing with it. You can just lose yourself in the sounds and sights and forget you're watching a movie, which doesn't help so much for the narrative, but for actually like getting the feel of being in a race car and being at the track itself, I really like that aspect of this picture. Let's take a moment to thank TSC fans from around the world. Tell us which of our recommendations you liked and who your favorite guests are via the screen companion at gmail.com. Further support the host by purchasing a digital or print copy of his sci-fi novel, Traversal, The Weight of Worlds, available on Amazon. John, do you think there are any deeper themes
2: running through the film Lamon? There's passion there. I was reading about how Steve McQueen loves racing. He's a big actor. He's a big movie star at the time. And he has, what, no one says anything for like the first 35 minutes. Oh, yeah, I noticed that. Yeah, yeah, that was, a, I was just like, this is your moneymaker, and he hasn't said a word. I think this definitely was a passion thing about just the passion of racing, the beauty of man and machine, if you will coming together and staying awake for 24 hours.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so would you say the theme is human endurance?
1: Yeah, yeah, let's go with that. Okay, okay, cool. Max, how about you? Can you see a deeper theme in this? I think there was something in there more about mortality and the thrill of the moment. Because again, all these guys putting their lives on the line in these death boxes. And then there's this outside element, the widow, who was just like, Oh, you men. You're all just itching to die, aren't you?
0: What is so important about driving faster than anyone else?
2: A lot of people go through life doing things badly. Racing's important to men who do it well. Racing, it's life. Anything that happens before or after,
1: it's just waiting. It felt like she was just done with it. She was like, I don't understand why you all do this. I don't understand why I'm still here. Maybe I want closure. (laughs) That's another thing, actually.
0: Yeah, I know. I thought that was a little weird. Like, why was she even there?
1: Yeah. (laughs) Free food. Her man's dead. She has no connection to the team at this point. She's more or less just a guest hanging out in the paddock. What?
0: Well, she had to look down her nose at something, so she had to be at the race for that. (laughs)
2: that's her life passion is looking down on people (laughs) forgiving people who murdered her husband but (laughs) looking down on everyone else
0: the theme i saw running through this thing even though it is very light on story and i can't stress that enough is this notion that winning isn't everything the widow questions if racing is important enough to die for one of the drivers gets replaced mid-race his final race But he finds solace from his wife, who supported him retiring anyway. And another driver even ignores getting into first place in order to assist his teammate. It feels like it's coming back to this idea of, I don't necessarily need to win in order to feel good about what I'm doing. John, what are your favorite scenes or performances? Oh man, well, uh, Steve McQueen
2: is great. He's got that quiet cool down pat. He's such a cool cat. I was thinking that the whole movie. It's like, man, this guy's so cool. (laughs) He doesn't say anything. I guess if he started giving speeches about, like, gears and stuff, I'd be like, ah, okay, maybe one beer and then I'm out, but...
0: (laughs) If he gave a speech, it would be 20 minutes of him staring at the crowd (laughs) and at the end saying thank you and walking away. (laughs) That would be the greatest speech ever given.
2: (laughs) He said so much with his eyes. (laughs) He did. Um... The movie as a whole, I just I liked how minimal it was. You remember going to the writing classes and those? the teachers would be like, show, don't tell, and then every movie you see just tells you anyway. So it's like, why should I listen? And this movie actually shows. It doesn't tell. You have to pick it all up on yourself. You have to figure out what happened the year before. You have to figure out that there's, the media is creating this rivalry. It's a friendly rivalry, but the media wants to be angry. You have to pay attention to this movie, and not a lot of movies you have to pay attention to anymore. Toward the beginning of this
0: one, Lamont, where the announcer is giving you a rundown of what the race actually is and its history, which I really appreciated, knowing zero about it, Max was probably just nodding his head like, Okay, I know, we all know, everybody (laughs) watching knows this information. (laughs) Skip to the end. (laughs) When you're actually watching the race... I was so happy that there was no narration going on, like in Rush, where they're telling you everything that's happening on screen. Hunt just passed this other driver. No kidding, I just
1: saw it. How about you, Max? Favorite scenes, performances? Slightly hot take. My favorite scenes, first of all, were not the racing scenes. It was actually all the scenes outside of the race scene. You see Steve McQueen get out of his car. He goes through the paddock and goes into like the hospitality area. You see the area outside of the racetrack. People are just out there chilling, enjoying their lives, eating food, going on carnival rides. There's usually more than just racing going at these events. It's almost like a little mini circus whenever they come into town. All these people just get together, have fun, and every now and then enjoy a bit of a race.
0: Well you know, it's like the one thing that happens to that area every year. So everybody's gonna come for that.
1: And this feels even more it hits closer home for me because the Long Beach Grand Prix, I essentially do the same thing whenever I go. I show up, it's like, oh, there's a little bit of car racing. I'm gonna go walk around and not even look at the car racing most of the time. Just gonna go see what's there maybe sit around and watch 20 minutes of racing before I go back to to just wandering through the area.
0: Speaking about the crowd that develops at that race, I thought it was a really cool detail that not only do they race on road built for the event, but also on some public roads as well. Max, do you know of many racing sites doing that?
1: Oh, yeah, a whole bunch of them. Sometimes they're a little bit of a hybrid where it's like, part street course, part purpose-built roads. Other times they're full street courses which are tricky to drive through. Do you happen to know if that's more dangerous? Street courses are way more dangerous because they're so narrow and because there's so much infrastructure around like shops and spectators that they just put up stronger barriers. It's easy to wipe out in those kind of courses. Also it's harder because you can't really pass other cars on those really tight streets. John, what are any criticisms you
2: might have for this? It might be probably what I loved about the movie, too, is how hands-off it can be. (laughs) There's probably too much to miss. Uh, And it really wasn't as dramatic and crazy as Rush was. So I guess if you're looking for a big Hollywood movie, this ain't it. The difference between this and
0: Rush, this movie I felt like I was drinking a high-quality spirit And then Rush with some boxed wine you buy at the store. (laughs) I completely agree with you. This is really light on a narrative. And I realize this is one of those classic examples of 70s realism in cinema. Stuff like Taxi Driver, where things are just playing out as real as they can be. Almost to a fault. There's no underlying drama that ramps up as the movie plays. You're watching the real race, but with better cinematic angles. If you're not in the mood for that, or if you have a really short 21st century attention span, this might not be for you. However, if you want to ruminate on how much rain sucks when you're racing, how claustrophobic those cars must be. Because they show the race about to start, and we're in the driver's seat with McQueen And he closes this little back window. He's just focused on the actual race light for things to start. And he's just tucked in in that helmet and that face cloth, Max. Is that to help with the fumes?
1: That's to help with fire so that, not if, but when you finally burst into flames, you're not breathing in fire directly.
0: Oh. So, without it, Nikki Lauda would have really been up Craps Creek, huh?
1: Yeah, he definitely wouldn't have stuck around as long as he did. And how
0: about you, Max, being our big driving fan today,
1: do you have any criticisms for this? I had one. I had the thought in my mind. It escaped me. Oh, God. Oh, no, my brain fart. (laughs) Can we say that you've stalled? (laughs) Oh, engine
0: failure. Engine failure at the start. (laughs) I love it. Well, fine. You know, Steve McQueen's Ghost loves to hear you had no problem with the film at all. He's happy. Moving on then to a general discussion. I'm going to throw another one at you, Max. Reset. Reset. All right. Now, how much racing do you want to see in a race car movie? What do you think gearheads really want in this subgenre when they're sitting down to watch?
1: I want to say if it's at least 30% of the film that might be a good number because if there's too much cars and it just becomes boring you need a little something extra to add spice into it kind of like what the fast and furious did where they had other conflicts going on and the racing was just like an avenue to give you some more adrenaline and keep you involved i don't know maybe a good three to five minute car scene with about another 20 minutes 25 minutes of other stuff happening
0: so for you even as a fan
1: Let's say the racing was fifty percent of the movie, that would be pushing it for you, huh? At that point it becomes a documentary, and documentaries, in my opinion, are pretty okay to watch. They're not for today's modern crowd.
0: John, do you think the racing or the race car subgenre belongs more under action or sports movies? Sports are action movies to a point anyway, aren't they? Like um, Well, I feel like some sports more than others, if I'm watching professional chess, I'm not going to call that (laughs) an action movie. (laughs) (laughs) Not even Wizard's Chess from Harry Potter? Uh, I've never seen a Harry Potter movie. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) Wow, wow. Let me pivot a little bit. Do you think race car movies are too niche?
2: No, I don't think they're too niche. Every now and then a good race car movie comes out and everyone's happy with it. Days of Thunder. Everyone saw Ricky Bobby, Talladega Nights. Everyone saw Rush. I think it was up for Best Picture that year. There should be a good racing movie every few years, just to remind people, I guess. I don't think any career is too niche to use for a story,
0: but some will rely much more heavily on the story and characters to appeal to a larger audience. As we'll see in our next movie, sometimes it. Relies too much on the spectacle, and then for people who aren't really into cars, the movie suffers for it. Going to 2013's Rush, Max, could you summarize it for us?
1: Rush is a movie about James Hunt and Nikki Lauda. It starts off with them actually meeting on a racetrack, and it shows a progression going from, I think, what, Formula 3 and rising through the ranks to finally make it to Formula 1. It just shows how they're trying to parallel and one-up each other all the time, and it gets up to a point where their egos start clashing, both on and off the course, where it starts endangering them. It primarily focuses on the 1976 Formula One season, where this all comes to a head.
2: Were these two famous before that?
1: Uh, maybe within their circles, they definitely were upcoming stars. During this season, Nicolato is famous because he won the previous year.
2: I watched Rush first and then Le Mans, and there was a lot of parallels between the main characters of basically Steve McQueen's American, but James Hunt's English, and both the quote-unquote bad guys from the movies are Austrians. Oh. And the movie came out in 71, but I thought there was a lot of parallels between like the two real guys and then the two made-up guys in Le Mans. Both of them,
0: the actual racing takes place in the 70s, so I would expect to see some parallels. It's just a few years apart in the reality of the storytelling.
1: The only way I could defend it is by saying that Germany has been known for putting out really good drivers. So that's probably a part of it. As we go into our
0: second round of facts with Max, in what ways would you say Formula One really differs from something like Le Mans?
1: The rules that's a big one. Formula One is like the name says, it's based on a formula of rules. You have to design the car this certain way. Anything else, it doesn't work. You can't use it. Shut up. Wait, that's actually what the formula in Formula One means? There's a certain set of rules that basically creates the formula for you to design the car. The other big difference between Le Mans and Formula One is that Formula One takes place all over the world. You don't race in just one racetrack for once a year. You do something about like 12 races across different continents, depending on which ones are available at the time. Where do they do Formula One in the States? There's now three Formula One races in the U.S. It's happening in Austin, Texas, Las Vegas, and Miami. Nice. There was a huge uproar about that because people were like, oh, that's too many races to host in one country. This is so not cool. They're just really trying to appeal to Americans, but if you draw the distance between each race and compare it to Europe, there's way more distance. Europe has like five races within a span of like 20 miles.
0: Yeah, take that, Europe. (laughs) (laughs) John, who do you think is the protagonist for this film? Or do you think they're like co-stars, really?
2: I want to say co-stars, just because they have a right amount of... A comparable screen time. They're both dicks to each other. They both have good sides and bad sides. I mean, I'm looking at IMDb, and Daniel Brühl's listed before Chris Hemsworth, so I want to call him the protagonist. Who talks first? Let's call them the good guy. That would be Nicky Lauda.
0: All right. Because it starts with his narration and ends with his narration, which is what I was going to point out would be, I guess, technically making him the protagonist, but... Mm-hmm. I would rather agree with you that it really feels 50-50, because they do have a lot of faults, and I can't say I really root for either of them
2: for most
1: of this movie.
2: Especially being a historically accurate
1: film, it's hard. I feel like the film is trying to make James Hunt be the protagonist. It feels like it focuses so much more on him and his struggle. No, they do have good amounts of screen time each but something about it apparently draws me more to him being the guy you want to root for. He's the quote-unquote real underdog in this story.
0: Like you said, Max, Lauda won the previous year, so Hunt has everything to prove. John, do you think the race sequences stick out enough in this movie?
2: No. Thinking back on it right now, all the stuff that happens, a car breaks somewhere, there's a crash, but the actual racing itself... You get all that information from the announcer yelling. <laughs> you don't really see that visually, I feel like.
0: That announcer is such an exposition machine.
2: I was just major in college.
0: <laughs> but I think the reason why things don't read very well on screen, like you just said, is because there's so many tight shots of the driver's helmets. Le Mans, it's the complete opposite. These wonderfully sweeping panning shots where you really get to see all the cars in motion, and it's almost like you're in a sidecar filming the whole thing. I enjoyed that so much more than all the shaky cam. God, I hate shaky cam. (laughs) That doesn't make me feel like I'm going faster. It just makes me want to puke. Yeah,
2: it was all the rage in those days. It ruined one of the Bond movies. (laughs) Yeah, it did. Uh, Max, what do you think about it?
1: As nice as it was to see like the old cars, at the same time, I just didn't feel the same connection to them. Part of it is because I felt like they were mostly CGI. I was like, I could just see this literally anywhere else. Here's a little bit of action for you. Stay focused. Here it comes it straight into your eyeball, but it didn't feel as good as it did with Le Mans.
0: And Max, what were your favorite scenes or performances?
1: Daniel Brew's performance is great up until I started hearing him try to do the old man Lauda voice. This is, not, this is not my grandpa.
0: And Lauda was still alive at the time. Why didn't they just have him do it, especially since at the end they show you real footage of the real people, and it's supposed to be old
1: man Lauda? Bring in Nikki Lauda. <laughs> they barely had him there for like a split second. I had to like pause it and be like, yeah, yeah, that's him. I recognize him. They really should have had him do it because he does have that distinct speaking style and his voice was way different from what Daniel Brühl was trying to do. It almost offends me at this point, especially because the real Nicky Loud is dead and he was a strong figure between the movie up to his death in Formula One.
0: I know for a fact we have some Austrian listeners. For you guys listening out there, I do not support Daniel Brühl's performance in this. (laughs) (laughs) It might be a little too late, but I say we boycott Brühl's performance in this. (laughs) We're about 10 years too late.
2: How about you, John? Any favorite scenes? The acting I really liked between Brühl and Hemsworth.
1: How's it going so far?
2: It's fine. Just got a little problem with an Austrian rat and his team of Italian cheats who destroyed my car. What are you talking about? Talking about the race in Spain that I won? Yeah, in a car which is not legal. Five-eighths of an inch too wide. You know that doesn't have the slightest effect on speed. But you complained and your team of always leaned on the authorities. Now we've had to rebuild
1: the car and it's become a monster. At least it's a legal monster. So you've had to resort to cheating.
0: You're driving an illegal car and call me the cheat? It's pathetic. Rules are rules. Yes,
2: and rats are rats. I thought they played really well together. I thought the acting was good. I'm sorry, apparently Daniel Bruhl didn't sound anything like actual Niki Lauda. Yeah, Max ruined it for me. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, ah. There was a really funny scene where James Hunt was playing with toys. He was playing with the toy racetrack, and he's on the phone, and there's that great shot of him being like, what do you mean I'm too reckless? As his toy flies off the course into the living room. Yeah, that was a bit
0: on the nose, Yeah, but I did it, enjoy that.
2: It was funny. It was really funny.
0: <laughs> Most of this movie just kind of washed over me as far as the character drama. Like when Hunt has that falling out with his wife, and I didn't care about his marriage falling apart because they didn't really show me much about him to make me feel like that was a big loss for him. However, one moment that really was effective... That moment when Lauda puts on the helmet at the hospital after he gets that burn on his head, it's like not only does it come off as painful, but it also speaks to how driven the character is to continue racing. Did it hit you at all feel the pain deep in your guts when you hear him grimacing?
2: Not as much as when they were pumping his lungs and they had to shove that giant metal tube down his throat and pry open his mouth. That really was like, that to me was more... Oh, God. And
0: then he asks for seconds.
2: Yeah, he's just like, thank you, sir. Can I have another?
0: Don't stop. Hurt me more. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to argue for the helmet scene just a little bit more, John, only because the whole time I'm thinking when he finally gets the helmet secured around his head, it's like, buddy, it's going to be just
2: as painful when you take that sucker off. (laughs) (laughs) Because he's trying to make podium, right? So he's just trying to, He's got to take it off for podium.
1: (laughs) Max, do you have any criticisms for this movie? James Hunt and his marriage. That was like the quickest thing to gloss over. She literally shows up and she's like, I hear you like to drive fast, you boys and your toys. And it's like, yeah, whatever. Marriage isn't really my thing. You want to try it though? And now we're getting married. What? (laughs) What?
0: You've crossed into something I was going to mention, and John, I'm curious, I'm hoping you'll agree with me on this. The movie shows us so many years in these guys' careers that I really got this vibe early on. Did it feel like a music biopic at all to you, John?
2: <laughs> now that you say that, it absolutely felt like the like like the Dewey Cox story where he's just got a new wife in every scene or something like that. <laughs> Yeah, like, uh, what, Natalie Dorman, he hooks up Natalie Dorman early and she's his girlfriend and then she's just gone forever. And then all of a sudden Olivia Wilde's there and then, what, like one scene, she's just like, well, I'm gonna go marry a billionaire or something. And then the movie ends with him fucking his way to an early grave. <laughs> <laughs> you have to read between the lines,
0: but that's what they're saying. That's exactly
2: what happened. He's just like, I won, I'm the best, I'm gonna fuck myself to death.
0: And the fact that, because of the music bio formula that's in this, it has some strengths, but one of the downfalls of that type of movie is when they bring Olivia Wilde back toward the very end and she's watching Hunt race, I don't care Olivia Wilde is there. I don't care how she feels about it. I wish they wouldn't even have cut to her, you know? I
1: wanted to boo her when she was on screen.
0: (laughs) So did I. (laughs) I don't know how much of that has to do with stuff that's come out recently about her
2: her real life how she hurt she hurt our baby boy jason
0: sudeikis that uh don't worry darling the drama around the making of that oh she screwed over my boy chris pine don't you do that to kirk damn <laughs> especially compared to Lemon, rush is such a bubblegum overcooked Hollywood depiction of racing. It's got so much flair, it always feels contrived, and I always felt like I was watching a movie. Now, fellas, I'm going to do a new segment on the show, which is called Taking the Piss Out of Mr. Smarty Pants. Max is our resident gearhead. He knows everything about cars and racing, absolutely 100%. He gloats about it all the time. I want to see if John, head to head in a little trivia competition, if you can take my man down. <laughs> I'm going to ask each of you a question. You might notice that John's questions are going to be a lot easier. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes, hand holding for victory.
0: Now, John. If you have trouble with a question, I'm going to give you two lifelines. I'll give you a hint for two questions if you need it, okay? Starting with you, John, what countries are Porsche and Ferrari headquartered in? I want to say Italy is Ferrari, right? Correct. Porsche, are they German? Yes. All right. All right. <laughs> Even though you kind of answered it as a question, like you were putting your feelers (laughs) out (laughs) and ready to whip it back if I said no. (laughs) But you know what? Because it gives you a point, I will give it to you. Hell yeah. Max, what year did the Ferrari badge get added to their cars?
1: Oh, boy. (laughs) This is the part where you fiercely hear me typing on the keyboard. Uh. (laughs) Ah. <laughs> oh, you give Max all the easy ones. Let's see. So I know Ferrari was founded after World War II. The Ferrari emblem I think was given to Enzo Ferrari before World War II, if I remember right. Because it came from the owner's son, who died during World War One. Wait, added to their cars or added to their race cars?
0: The first time the badge appeared on any of their cars.
1: I'm gonna take a stab in the dark. And I'm going to say 1950, when Formula One started.
0: Good guess. No, it was 1947. John, when talking car parts, what does the acronym
2: ICE, I-C-E, stand for? (laughs) When you said talking car parts, I immediately thought of the movie Cars, and I thought you were just going (laughs) to ask me a Disney question. Lightning McQueen. Lightning McQueen. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um... Ice. Ice. Baby. Uh, does the E stand for emergency? Probably not. I'm not gonna let you fish, if you wanna (laughs) use a hint. I
1: mean, we gotta give Max a little
0: bit of fairness here.
1: I'm over here screaming on the inside.
0: (laughs) I know, I wanted to also design questions where Max would be screaming. I know you know this, Max. Alright,
2: uh, I'm gonna say internal caliper exasperation. (laughs)
0: Oh, you were close. You were close. Max, you want to tell them? Internal combustion engine.
2: Oh, (laughs) correct.
0: (laughs) You really should have used a hint, because I would have told you this part makes the car move.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I probably would have said wheels or something anyway.
0: Max, actually, you already said this earlier, and I was iffy if I was going to include this question, but I wanted to include it to embarrass you if you didn't know. But you do, so just repeat what you said earlier. What three events comprise the Triple Crown of motorsport?
1: Oh, Indy 500, Monaco, and Le Mans.
0: Correct. Right now, we are tied at one-to-one. Max, I was expecting a lot more from you.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even know what an engine was. Come on. (laughs) (laughs)
0: John, what year saw the highest gas prices in the United States? Has to be this year, right? Would you stop
2: asking it as a question? This isn't <laughs> no, Jeopardy. No, I'm going 2022. Correct. Max, listen carefully.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I hope you have a pen and paper ready to do some calculations. <laughs> So a train leaves... <laughs> <you know. laughs> well, he is an engineer. He's got a degree in it, for God's sakes. Oh, wow. We're not doing that, but <laughs> you might want to pay attention to this one. What land vehicle did General Eisenhower count as one of the four tools of victory that helped win World War II?
1: I want to say it was a Sherman tank. <clears throat>
0: No, sticking with the theme, it's the Jeep. Ah. And the others were the Bazooka, C-47 Airplane, and the Atom Bomb. Yeah, that last one would have to be.
2: Yeah. Right. <laughs> How'd you the Japanese? A Jeep? No, you bombed two cities. <laughs> <laughs> and gave them Godzilla.
0: <laughs> Best thing ever. Those Marvel movies where it says created by Stan Lee. If every Godzilla movie in the credits it said Godzilla originally created by Dwight D. Eisenhower, <laughs> John, what famous car model did Henry Ford introduce in 1908? It's the Model T, friend. Man, you are killing it, buddy! You are killing it. I like it. Haven't had to use a hint yet. <laughs> Makes me a little sad because some of them are pretty funny. Like for this one I was gonna say I pity the fool that doesn't know the answer. (laughs) (laughs) PA Baracus car. You got some catching up to do, Max. I'm rooting for you, I really am. Which of the following models has never been manufactured by Hyundai? Is it the Excel, Celesta, Quest? Or Nexo. The quest. You got it. You bastard. Yeah. It's also funny, John, because Max tangentially works for Hyundai.
2: <laughs> <Say that>. Hyundai.
1: <laughs> Hyundai. <laughs> that is how you're supposed to pronounce it. Ah, oh, that's no. I'm American.
0: I was going to let that slide, but see, Max is such a (laughs) know-it-all. If he was wearing glasses, he would be pushing them up in that moment.
2: He might be. He might be wearing those cool party glasses that are just like the slits.
0: (laughs) Right now, the score is John with three, Max with two. Max, you're going to need this to tie, so I guess I'll start with you. Max, how many positions are there? on a five-speed gear stick.
1: Six. No. What? Wow.
0: Seven. You've got the five speeds, neutral and
2: reverse.
1: I was about to say, neutral's not really a position.
2: Not, yeah, it's just like a... It's a slot. That's why it's called neutral. Because it's, it's... It's the starting
0: position. Also, I looked it up, and even car sights at seven. Fair enough. Dem's the rules, sorry. But officially, John did win with four to two. Thank you, thank you. So congratulations, you have taken the piss out of Mr. Smarty Pants.
2: He got beat by a guy who didn't know what an engine was. <laughs> oh! <laughs> <laughs>
0: John, do you have any final thoughts
2: on either of today's movies? I'm going to say Lamont's was a way better movie, and it did more with less. Sorry, Ron Howard. You were too popcorny. y is going to be less
0: satisfying if we're talking general audiences, but if you're in this movie's wheelhouse, if you really like 70s cinema, especially in that ultra-realism, you're going to enjoy that picture. Max, do you have anything to say about either
1: movie? Rush is good for the modern man who's just dumb and just wants to watch something thing and forget life. Le Mans is for the true automotive aficionado.
0: There you have it. Mr. Smarty Pants strikes again, telling everybody that we're super spot because we liked Le Mans more. I'm not going to say he's wrong. I'm just going to leave it to him to say those hurtful, hurtful things.
1: <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.